Continuing our reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, we're taking back up again at chapter 56, the story of the Shamanchaka Jewel. And we're starting with the paragraph that begins, King Ugrasena then called for a meeting. King Ugrasena then called for a meeting of important kings and chiefs. He also invited Satrajit. Huh? Any disagreement? Okay. Okay. We're taking up at chapter 57, the killing of Satrajit and Shatadanva. After Akura visited Hastinapur and reported the condition of the Pandavas to Krishna, there were further developments. The Pandavas were transferred to a house which was made of lac and was later set ablaze, and everyone believed that the Pandavas, along with their mother Kunti, had been killed. This information was also sent toward Krishna and Balaram. After consulting together, they decided to go to Hastinapur to show sympathy to their relatives. Krishna and Balaram certainly knew that the Pandavas could not have been killed in the devastating fire. But in spite of this knowledge, they wanted to go to Hastinapur to take part in the bereavement. <clears throat> On arriving in Hastinapur, Krishna and Balaram first went to see Bhishmadev because he was the chief of the Kuru dynasty. They had Kripacharya, Vidura, Gandhari, and Drona. Other members of the Kuru dynasty were not sorry because they wanted the Pandavas and their mother to be killed. But some family members headed by Bhishma were actually very sorry for the incident, and Krishna Balaram expressed equal sorrow without disclosing the actual situation. When Krishna and Balaram were away from the city of Dwarka, there was a conspiracy to take the Shamachaka jewel away from Satrajit. The chief conspirator was Shatadanva, who was among those who had wanted to marry Satyabhama, Satrajit's beautiful daughter. Satrajit had promised that he would give his beautiful daughter in charity to various candidates, but later the decision was changed, and Satyabhama was given to Krishna along with the Shamantaka jewel. Satrajit had no desire to give the jewel away with his daughter, and Krishna, knowing his mentality, accepted his daughter but returned the jewel. After getting back the jewel from Krishna, he was satisfied and kept it with him always. But in the absence of Krishna and Balaram, there was a conspiracy by many men, including even Akura and Kritavarma, who were devotees of Lord Krishna, to take the jewel from Satrajit. Akura and Kritavarma joined the conspiracy because they wanted the jewel for Krishna. They knew that Krishna wanted the jewel and that Satrajit had not delivered it properly. Others joined the conspiracy because they were disappointed in not having the hand of Satyabhama. Some of them incited Shatadanva to kill Satrajit and take away the jewel. 
The question is generally raised, why did a great devotee like Akrura join this conspiracy? And why did Kritavarma, although a devotee of the Lord, join the conspiracy also? The answer given by great authorities like Jiva Goswami is that although Akura was a great devotee, he was cursed by the inhabitants of Vrindavana because of his taking Krishna away from their midst. Because of wounding their feelings, Akura was forced to join the conspiracy declared by sinful men. Similarly, Kritavarma was a devotee, but because of his intimate association with Kangsa, he was contaminated by sinful reactions and he also joined the conspiracy. Being inspired by all the members of the... So the reason was his bad association. Why a great devotee? He was cursed by the inhabitants of Vrindavan because of taking away Krishna from their midst. Because of wounding their feelings, Akura was forced to join the conspiracy declared by sinful men. Similarly, Kritavarma was a devotee, but because of his intimate association with Kamsa, he was contaminated by sinful reactions, and he also joined the conspiracy. There it is. There you have it. Being inspired by all the members of the conspiracy, Shatadanva one night entered the house of Shatrajit and killed him while he was sleeping. Shatadanva was a sinful man of abominable character, and although due to his sinful activities he was not to live for many days, he decided to kill Satrajit while Satrajit was sleeping at home. When he entered the house to kill Satrajit, all the women there cried very loudly, but in spite of their great protests, Shatadanva mercilessly butchered Satrajit without hesitation, exactly as a butcher kills an animal in the slaughterhouse. Since Krishna was absent from home, his wife Satyabhama was present on the night Satrajit was murdered. And she began to cry, My dear father, my dear father, how mercilessly you have been killed. The dead body of Satrajit was not immediately removed for cremation because Satyabhama wanted to go to Krishna in Hastinapur. Therefore the body was preserved in a tank of oil so that Krishna could come back and see the dead body of Satrajit and take real action against Shatadanva. Satyabhama immediately started for, Hastin for Hastinapur to inform Krishna about the ghastly death of her father. When Krishna was informed by Satyabhama of the murder of his father-in-law, he began to lament like an ordinary man. His great sorrow is, again, a strange thing. Lord Krishna has nothing to do with action and reaction, but because he was playing the part of a human being, he expressed his full sympathy for the bereavement of Satyabhama, and his eyes filled with tears when he heard about the death of his father-in-law. He then began to lament, Oh, what unhappy incidents have taken place. Then Krishna Balaram, along with Satyabhama, immediately returned to Dwarka and began to make plans to kill Shatadanva and take away the jewel. Although he was a great outlaw in the city, Shatadanva was still very much afraid of Krishna's power, and thus when Krishna arrived, he became most afraid. Understanding Krishna's plan to kill him, he immediately went to take shelter of Kritavarma. But Kritavarma said, I shall never be able to offend Lord Krishna and Balaram, for they are not ordinary persons. They are the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Who can be saved from death if he has offended Balaram and Krishna? No one can be saved from their wrath. 
Kritavarma further said that Kangsa, although powerful and assisted by many demons, could not be saved from Krishna's wrath. And what to speak of Jarasandha, who had been defeated by Krishna 17 times and each time had to return from the fighting in disappointment. When Shatadanva was refused help by Kritavarma, he went to Akrura and implored him to help. But Akrura also replied, Balaram and Krishna are themselves the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and anyone who knows their unlimited strength would never dare offend them or fight with them. He further informed Shatadanva, Krishna and Balaram are so powerful that simply by willing, they create, maintain, and dissolve the whole cosmic manifestation. Unfortunately, persons bewildered by the illusory energy cannot understand the strength of Krishna, although the whole cosmic manifestation is fully under his control. He cited as an example that Krishna, even at the age of seven years, had lifted Govardhan Hill and had continued to hold up the mountain for seven days, exactly as a child carries a small umbrella. Akura plainly informed Shatadanva that he would always offer his most respectful obeisances to Krishna, the super soul of everything created and the original cause of all causes. When Akura also refused to give him shelter, Shatadanva decided to deliver the Shamachaka jewel into the hands of Akura. Then, riding on a horse which could run at great speed and up to 400 miles at a stretch, he fled the city. When Krishna and Balaram were informed of the flight of Shatadanva, they mounted their chariot, its flag marked with a picture of Garuda, and followed immediately. Krishna was particularly angry, angry with Shatadanva and wanted to kill him because he had killed Shatrajit, a superior personality. Satrajit happened to be the father-in-law of Krishna, and it is the injunction of the Shastras that one who is Guru Druha, who has rebelled against a superior person, must be punished in proportion to the severity of the offense. Because Shatadanva had killed his father-in-law, Krishna was determined to kill him by any means. Shatadanva's horse became exhausted and died near a garden house in Matila. Unable to take help of the horse, Shatadanva began to run with great speed. In order to be fair from Shatadanva, Krishna and Balaram also left their chariot and began to follow Shatadanva on foot. While Shatadanva and Krishna were running, Krishna took his disc and cut off Shatadanva's head. After Shatadanva was killed, Krishna searched through his clothing for the Shamataka jewel, but he could not find it. <clears throat> he then returned. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice, I'm losing it. Help me, O Lord, devotees of the Lord, help me. <clears throat> he then returned to Balaram and said he then returned to Balaram and said, We have killed this person uselessly, for the jewel is not to be found on his body. Sri Balaram suggested the jewel might have been kept in the custody of another man in Dwarka. So you'd better return and search it out. Sri Balaram expressed his desire to remain in Matila city for some days because he enjoyed an intimate relationship with the king. Therefore, Krishna returned to Dwarka and Balaram entered the city of Matila. When the king of Matila saw the arrival of Sri Balaram in his city, he was most pleased. 
and received the Lord with great honor and hospitality. He gave many valuable presents to Balaramaji in order to seek his pleasure. At this time, Sri Balaram lived in the city for several years as the honored guest of the king of Matila, Janaka Maharaj. During this time, Duryodhana, the eldest son of Dhritarashtra, took the opportunity to come to Balaram and learn from him the art of fighting with a club. After killing Shatadhanva, Krishna returned to Dwarka, and in order to please his wife Satyabhama, he informed her of the death of Shatadhanva, the killer of her father. But he also informed her that the jewel had not been found in his possession. Then, according to religious principles, Krishna, along with Satyabhama, performed ceremonies in honor of his departed father-in-law. In those ceremonies, all the friends and relatives of the family joined together. Akrova and Kritavarma were prominent members in the conspiracy to kill Satrajit, having incited Chetadanwa to kill him. So when they heard of the death of Shatadanwa at Krishna's hand, and when they also heard that Krishna had returned to Dwarka, they both immediately left the city. The citizens of Dwarka felt themselves threatened with pestilence and natural disturbances due to the absence of Rakura from the city. This was a kind of superstition because while Lord Krishna was present, there could not be any pestilence, famine, or natural disturbances. But in the absence of Akrura, there were apparently some disturbances in Dwarka. The superstition arose for the following reason. Once, in the province of Kashi, Varanasi, there was severe drought, but practically no rain fell. At that time, the king of Kashi arranged the marriage of his daughter, known as Gandini, with Shropalka, the father of Akrura. This was done by the king of Kashi on the advice of an astrologer. And actually, it so happened that after the marriage of the king's daughter with Shropalka, there was sufficient rainfall in the province. Due to this supernatural power of Shropalka, his son Akrura was considered equally powerful, and people were under the impression that wherever Akrura or his father stayed, there would be no natural disturbances, such as famine or drought. That kingdom is considered happy where there is no famine, pestilence, or excessive heat or cold, and where people are happy mentally, spiritually, and physically. As soon as there was some disturbance in Dwarka, people considered the cause to be the absence of an auspicious personality in the city. Thus, there was a rumor that because of the absence of a Krura, inauspicious things were happening. After the departure of a Krura, some of the elderly residents of the city also began to perceive inauspicious signs due to the absence of the Samantaka jewel. When Lord Sri Krishna heard these rumors spread by the people, he decided to summon Akrura 
from the kingdom of Kashi. Akrura was Krishna's uncle. Therefore, when he came back to Dwarka, Krishna first of all gave him, gave him a welcome, befitting a superior person. Krishna is the super soul in everyone and knows everything going on in everyone's heart. He knew everything that had happened in connection with the Kruva's conspiracy with Shadadanwa. Therefore, he smilingly began to speak to Akrura. Addressing, addressing him as the chief among munificent men, Krishna said, My dear uncle, it is already known to me that this Yamataka jewel was left by Shatadanwa with you. Presently there is no direct claimant of the Syamantaka jewel, for King Satrajit had no male issue. His daughter Sat Satyabhama is not very eager for the jewel for this jewel. Yet her expected son, as the grandson of Satrajit, would, after performing the regulated principles of inheritance, be the legal claimant of the jewel. Lord Krishna indicated by this statement that Satyabhama was already pregnant and that her son would be the real claimant of the jewel and would certainly take it from Akrura. Krishna continued, This jewel is so powerful that no ordinary man is able to keep it. I know that you are very pious in activities, so there is no objection to the jewels being kept with you. There is one difficulty, and that is that my elder brother, Sri Balaram, does not believe my version that the jewel is with you. I therefore request you, O large-hearted one, to show me the jewel just once before my other relatives so that they may be pacified and reject various kinds of rumors. You cannot deny that the jewel is with you because we can understand that you have enhanced your opulence and are performing sacrifices on an altar made of solid gold. <clears throat> the properties of the jewel were known. Whenever the jewel remained, it would produce for the keeper more than two mounds of pure gold daily. Akrura was getting gold in that proportion and distributing it profusely at sacrificial performances. Lord Krishna cited Akrura's lavishly spending gold as positive evidence of his possessing the Samantaka jewel. When Lord Krishna in friendly terms and sweet language impressed Akrura about the real fact and Akrura understood that nothing could be concealed from the knowledge of Sri Krishna, he brought out the valuable jewel covered by cloth but shining like the sun and presented it and presented it before Krishna. Lord Krishna took the salmon took a jewel in his hand and showed it to all his relatives and friends present and then returned the jewel to Akrura in their presence so that they would know that the jewel was actually being kept by Akrura in Dwarka city. The story of the Samantaka jewel is very significant. In Srimad Bhagavatam it is said that anyone who hears the story of the Samantaka jewel or describes it or simply remembers it 
will be free from all kinds of defamation and the reactions of all impious activities and thus will attain the highest perfectional condition of peace. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 57th chapter of Krishna, the killing of Satrajit and Shatadanwa. Chapter 58, well that was something that um, um, Pushkar told me. He said when, it was either him or, or some devotee, he was distributing books in a parking lot back in the 70s. And this elderly African-American man came up to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, he started distributing these books about God, and he said, let me see. And he started going through the Back to Godhead magazine, looking at all the pictures. And then he goes, you know this stuff's so weird? You gotta be right. <laughs> Chapter 58, Five Queens Married by Krishna. As mentioned in the last chapter, there was a great rumor that the five Pandava brothers, along with their mother Kunti, had died, according to the plan of the sons of Dhritarashtra, in a fire accident in the house of Lak, in which they were living. But then the five brothers were detected at the marriage ceremony of Draupadi. So another rumor spread that the Pandavas and their mother were not dead. It was a rumor, but actually it was so. They returned to their capital city, Hastinapur, and people saw them face to face. When this news was carried to Krishna and Balaram, Krishna wanted to see them personally, and therefore he decided to go to Hastinapur. This time Krishna visited Hastinapur in state as a royal prince, accompanied by his commander-in-chief, Yuyutana, and by many other soldiers. He had not actually been invited to visit the city, yet he went to see the Pandavas out of his affection for his great devotees. Yeah? Is Yudhidana such a, such a king? I think Yudhidana is such a king. I'll ask Kartik. I think this begins at the first chapter of Gita. Such a, such a king is really special in the Dhamma Purusha. 
It's dialed into my crystal ball. Where were we? This time, Krishna visited Hastinapur in state as a royal prince, accompanied by his commander-in-chief, Yuyudhana, and by other sol many other soldiers. He had not actually been invited to visit the city, yet he went to see the Pandavas out of his affection for his great devotees. He visited the Pandavas without warning, and all of them got up from their respective seats as soon as they saw him. Krishna is called Mukunda because as soon as one comes in constant touch with Krishna or sees him in full Krishna consciousness, one immediately becomes freed from all material anxieties. Not only that, but one is immediately blessed with all spiritual bliss. Receiving Krishna, the Pandavas were enlivened, just as if awakened from unconsciousness or loss of life. When a man is lying unconscious, his senses and the different parts of his body are inactive, but when he regains his consciousness, the senses immediately become active. Similarly, the Pandavas received Krishna as if they had just regained their consciousness, and so they were very much enlivened. Lord Krishna embraced every one of them, and by the touch of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Pandavas immediately became freed from all reactions of material contamination, <coughs> and were therefore smiling in spiritual bliss. By seeing the face of Lord Krishna, everyone was transcendentally satisfied. Lord Krishna, although the Supreme Personality of Godhead, was playing the part of an ordinary human being. Yes, Yudhana and Satyakya the same. You got it when you pushed the crystal ball? Yeah, it just came in. There it is. Good to know. Lord Krishna, although the Supreme Personality of Godhead was playing the part of an ordinary human being, and thus he immediately touched the feet of Yudhishthira and Bhima, because they were his two older cousins. Arjuna embraced Krishna as a friend of the same age, whereas the two younger brothers, namely Nakula and Sahadeva, touched the lotus feet of Krishna to show him respect. After an exchange of greetings according to the social etiquette befitting the position of the Pandavas and Lord Krishna, Krishna was offered an exalted seat. When he was comfortably seated, the newly married Draupadi, young and very beautiful in her natural feminine gracefulness, came before Lord Krishna to offer her respectful greetings. The, the Yadavas who accompanied Krishna to Hastinapur were also very respectfully received. Specifically Satyaki or Yuyudhana was also offered a nice seat. In this way, when everyone was properly seated, the five brothers took their seats near Lord Krishna. After meeting with the five brothers, Lord Krishna personally went to visit Srimati Kunti Devi, the mother of the Pandavas, who was also Krishna's paternal aunt. In offering his respects to his aunt, Krishna also touched her feet. Kunti Devi's eyes became wet, and in great love, she feelingly embraced Lord Krishna. She then inquired from him about the well-being of her paternal family members, her brother Vasudev, his wife, and other members of the family. Similarly, Krishna also inquired from his aunt about the welfare of the Pandava family. Although Kunti Devi was related to Krishna by family ties, she knew immediately after meeting him that he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. She remembered the past calamities of her life and how by the grace of Krishna, she and her sons, the Pandavas, had been saved. 
She knew perfectly well that without Krishna's grace, no one could have saved them from the fire, quote-unquote, accident, designed by the sons of Dhritarashtra. In a choked-up voice, she began to narrate before Krishna the history of their life. Srimati Kunti said, My dear Krishna, I remember the day when you sent my brother Akura to gather information about us. <clears throat> this means that you always remember us automatically. When you sent Akura, I could understand that there was no possibility of our being put in danger. All good fortune in our life began when you sent Akura to us. Since then, I have been convinced that we are not without protection. We may be put into various types of dangerous conditions by our family members, the Kurus, but I am confident that you remember us and always keep us safe and sound. Even ordinary devotees who simply think of you are always immune to all kinds of material danger and what to speak of ourselves who are personally remembered by you. So, my dear Krishna, there is no question of bad luck. We are always in an auspicious position because of your grace. Yet, although you have bestowed a special favor on us, people should not mistakenly think that you are partial to some and inattentive to others. You make no such distinction. No one is your favorite and no one is your enemy. As the Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are equal to everyone and everyone can take advantage of your special protection. The fact is that although you are equal to everyone, you are especially inclined to the devotees who always think of you. The devotees are related to you by ties of love. As such, they cannot forget you even for a moment. You are present in everyone's heart, but because the devotees always remember you, you respond accordingly. Although a mother has affection for all her children, she takes special care of the one who is fully dependent. I know certainly, my dear Krishna, that being seated in everyone's heart, you always create auspicious situations for your unalloyed devotees. Then King Yudhishthira also praised Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead and universal friend of everyone. But because Krishna was taking special care of the Pandavas, King Yudhishthira said, My dear Krishna, we do not know what sort of pious activities we have executed in our past lives that have made you so kind and gracious to us. We know very well that the great mystics who always engage in meditation to capture you do not find it easy to obtain such grace, nor can they draw any personal attention from you. I cannot understand why you are so kind to us. We are not yogis. On the contrary, we are attached to material contaminations. We are householders dealing in politics, worldly affairs. I do not know why you are so kind to us. Being requested by King Yudhishthir, Krishna agreed to stay in Hastinapur for four months during the rainy season. The four months of the rainy season are called Chaturmasya. During this period, the generally in itinerant preachers and pramanas stop at a certain place and live under rigid regulative principles. Although Lord Krishna is above all regulative principles, he agreed to stay at Hastinapur out of affection for the Pandavas. Taking this opportunity of Krishna's residence in Hastinapur, all the citizens of the city got the privilege of seeing him now and then and thus they merged into transcendental bliss simply by seeing Lord Krishna face to face. One day, while Krishna was going to stay with the Pandavas, <clears throat> one day, while Krishna was staying with the Pandavas, he and Arjuna prepared themselves 
to go to the forest to hunt. Both of them sat down in Arjuna's chariot, which flew a flag with the picture of Hanuman. Arjuna's special chariot is always marked with the picture of Hanuman, and therefore he is also named Kapidwaj. Kapi means Hanuman, and Dwaja means flag. Thus Arjuna prepared to go to the forest with his bow and infallible arrows. He dressed himself with suitable protective garments, for he was to practice for the time when he would be killing many enemies on the battlefield. He specifically entered that part of the forest where there were many tigers, deer, and various other animals. The reason Krishna went with Arjuna was not to practice animal killing, for he doesn't have to practice anything. He is self-sufficient. He accompanied Arjuna to see how he was practicing, because in the future he would have to kill many enemies. After entering the forest, Arjuna killed many tigers, boars, bison, gavias, a kind of wild animal, rhinoceroses, deer, hares, porcupines, and similar other animals, which he pierced with his arrows. Some of the dead animals were fit to be offered in sacrifices. Some of the dead animals that were fit to be offered in sacrifices were carried by servants and sent to King Yudhishthir. The ferocious animals, such as tigers and rhinoceroses, were killed only to stop disturbances in the forest. Since there are many sages and saintly persons who are residents of the forest, it is the duty of the Chatya king to keep even the forest in a peaceful condition for living. Arjuna felt tired and thirsty from hunting, and therefore he went to the bank of the Muna along with Krishna. When both the Krishnas, namely Krishna and Arjuna, reached the bank of the Yamuna, Arjuna is sometimes called Krishna as his Draupadi, they washed their hands, feet, and mouths and drank the clear water of the Yamuna. While resting and drinking water, they saw a beautiful girl of marriageable age walking alone on the bank of the Yamuna. Krishna asked his friend Arjuna to go forward and ask the girl who she was. By the order of Krishna, Arjuna immediately approached the girl, who was very beautiful. She had an attractive body, nice glittering teeth, and a smiling face. Arjuna inquired, My dear girl, you were so beautiful with your raised breasts. May I ask who you are? We are surprised to see you loitering here alone. What is your purpose in coming here? We can guess only that you are searching after a suitable husband. If you don't mind, you can disclose your purpose. I shall try to satisfy you. The beautiful girl was the river, river Yamuna personified. She replied, Sir, I am the daughter of the sun god and I am now performing penance and austerity to have Lord Vishnu as my husband. I think that he is the supreme person and just suitable to become my husband. I disclosed my desire thus because you wanted to know it. The girl continued, 
My dear sir, I know that you are the hero, Arjuna, so I may further say that I shall not accept anyone as my husband besides Lord Vishnu, because he is the only protector of all living entities and the bestower of liberation for all conditioned souls. I shall be thankful unto you if you pray to Lord Vishnu to be pleased with me. The girl Yamuna knew the girl Yamuna knew it well that Arjuna was a great devotee of Lord Krishna, and that if he would pray, Krishna would never do, deny his request. To approach Krishna directly may sometimes be futile. But to approach Krishna through his devotee is sure to be successful. She further told Arjuna, My name is Kalindi, and I live within the waters of the Yamuna. My father was kind enough to construct a special house for me within the waters of the Yamuna, and I have vowed to keep in the water as long as I cannot find Lord Krishna, to remain within the water as long as I cannot find Lord Krishna. Arjuna duly carried the message of the girl, Kalindi, to Krishna, although Krishna as the super soul in everyone's heart knew everything. Without further discussion, Krishna immediately accepted Kalindi and asked her to sit down in a chariot. Then all of them approached King Yudhishthir. After this, Krishna was asked by Yudhish, King Yudhishthir to help in constructing a suitable house to be planned by the great architect Vishwakarma, the celestial engineer in the heavenly kingdom. Krishna immediately called for Vishwakarma and made him construct a wonderful city according to the desire of King Yudhishthir. When this city was constructed, Maharaj Yudhishthir requested Krishna to live with them a few days more to give them the pleasure of his association. Lord Krishna accepted the request of Maharaj Yudhishthir and remained there for many days more. In the meantime, Krishna engaged in the pastime of offering the Kandava forest which belonged to King, to King Indra. Krishna wanted to give it to Agni, the fire god. The Kandava forest contained many varieties of drugs, and Agni required to eat them for rejuvenation. Agni, however, did, Agni, however, did not touch the Kandava forest directly, but requested Krishna to help him. Agni knew that Krishna was very much pleased with him because he had formerly given him the Sudarshan disk. So in order to satisfy Agni, Krishna became the chariot driver of Arjuna and both went to the Kandava forest. After Agni had eaten up the Kandava forest, he was very much pleased. And at this time, he offered Arjuna a special bow known as Gandiva. Four white horses, one chariot, and an invincible quiver with two special arrows considered to be talismans which had so much power that no warrior could counteract them. When the Kandava forest was being devoured by the fire god, Agni, there was a demon of the name Maya who was saved by Arjuna from the devastating fire. 
For this reason, that former demon became a great friend of Arjuna. And in order to please Arjuna, he constructed a nice assembly house within the city constructed by Vishwakarma. This assembly house had some corners so puzzling that when Narodana came to visit his house, this house, he was misdirected, accepting water as land and land as water. Duryodhana was thus insulted by the opulence of the Pandavas, and he, beca and he became their determined enemy. After a few days, Lord Krishna took permission from King Yudhishthir to return to Dwaraka. When he got permission, he returned to his country accompanied by Satyaki, the leader of the Yadus, who were living in Hastinapur with him. Kalindi also re returned with Krishna to Dwarka. After returning, Krishna consulted many learned astrologers to find the suitable moment at which to marry Kalindi. And then he married her with great pomp. This marriage cer ceremony gave much pleasure to the relatives of both parties, and all of them enjoyed the great occasion. The kings of Avantipur, now known as Ujjain, were named Vindhya and Anuvindhya. Both kings were under the control of Duryodhan. They had one sister named Mitravinda, who was very qualified, learned, elegant girl, the daughter of one of Krishna's aunts. She was to select her husband in an assembly of princes, but she strongly desired to have Krishna as her husband. During the assembly for selecting her husband, Krishna was present, and he forcibly carried away Mitravinda in the presence of all the other royal princes. Being unable to resist Krishna, the prince of Nagnajiti, for she was the daughter of King Nag Nagnajit. King Nagnajit wanted to give the hand of his daughter to any prince who could defeat seven very strong stalwart bulls maintained by him. No one in the princely order could defeat the seven bulls, and therefore no one could claim the hand of Satya. The seven bulls were very strong, and they could hardly bear even the smell of any prince. Many princes visited this kingdom and tried to subdue the bulls, but instead of controlling them, they themselves were defeated. This news spread all over the country, and when Krishna heard that one could achieve the girl, Satya, only by defeating the seven bulls, he prepared himself to go to the kingdom of Koshala. With many soldiers, he approached that part of the country known as Ayodhya, making a regular state visit. When it became known to the king of Koshala that Krishna had come to ask the hand of his daughter, he was very much pleased. With great respect and pomp, he welcomed Krishna to the kingdom. When Krishna approached him, he offered the Lord a suitable sitting place and articles for reception. Everything appeared very elegant. Krishna also offered him respectful obeisances, thinking him to be his future father-in-law. When Satya understood that Krishna himself had come to marry her, she was very much pleased that the husband of the goddess of fortune had so kindly come there to accept her. For a long time, she had cherished the idea of marrying Krishna and was following the principles of austerities to obtain her desired husband. She then began to think, 
if I have performed any pious activities to the best of my ability, and if I have sincerely thought all along to have Krishna as my husband, then Krishna may be pleased to fulfill my long-cherished desire. She began to offer prayers to Krishna mentally, thinking, I do not know how the Supreme Personality of God can be pleased with me. He is the Master and Lord of everyone, even the Goddess of Fortune whose place is next to the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, and many other demigods of different planets, always offer their respectful obeisances unto the Lord. The Lord also sometimes descends to this earth in different incarnations to fulfill the desires of his devotees. He is so exalted and great that I do not know how to satisfy him. She thought that the Supreme Personality of Godhead could be pleased only out of his own causeless mercy upon the devotee. Otherwise, there was no means to please him. Lord Chaitanya, in the same way, prayed in the Shikshashtaka verses, My Lord, I am your eternal servant. Somehow or other, I have fallen into this material existence. If you kindly pick me up and fix me as an atom of dust at your lotus feet, it will be a great favor to your eternal servant. The Lord can be pleased only by a humble attitude and the service spirit. The more we render service unto the Lord under the direction of the spiritual master, the more we can make advancement on the path of approaching the Lord. We cannot demand any grace or mercy from the Lord because of our service rendered to him. He may accept or not accept our service, but the only means to satisfy the Lord is through the service attitude and nothing else. King Nagdajit was a pious king, and having Lord Krishna in his palace, he began to worship him to the best of his knowledge and ability. He presented himself before the Lord thus, My dear Lord, you are the proprietor of the whole cosmic manifestation, and you are Narayana, the resting place of all living creatures. You are self-sufficient and pleased with your personal opulences, so how can I offer you anything? And how can, could I please you by such an offering? It is not possible, because I am an insignificant living being, Actually, I have no ability to render any service unto you. Krishna is the super soul of all living creatures, so he could understand the mind of Satya. He was also very much pleased with the respectful worship of the king and offering him a sitting place, eatables, a residence, and so on. He was appreciative, therefore, that both the girl and her father were eager to have him as their intimate relative. He smiled and in a grave voice said, My dear king, Nung Nagnajit, you know very well that anyone in the princely order who is regular in his position will never ask anything from anyone, however exalted he may be. Such requests by a Kshatriya king have been deliberately forbidden by the learned Vedic followers. If a Kshatriya breaks this regulation, his action is condemned by learned scholars. But in spite of this rigid regulative principle, I am asking you for the hand of your beautiful daughter just to establish our relationship in return for your great reception of me. You may also be pleased to be informed that in our family tradition there is no scope for our offering anything in exchange for accepting your daughter. We cannot pay any price you may impose for delivering her. In other words, Krishna wanted the hand of Satya from the king without fulfilling the condition of defeating the seven bulls give you my answer now if you like. <laughs> After hearing the statement of Lord Krishna, King Nangdachit 
said, my dear Lord, you are the reservoir of all pleasure, all opulences and all qualities. The goddess of fortune, Lakshmiji, always lives on your chest. Under these circumstances, who can be a better husband for my daughter? Both my daughter and I have always prayed for this opportunity. You are the chief of the Yadu dynasty. You may kindly know that from the very beginning I have made a vow to marry my daughter to a suitable candidate, one who can come out victorious in the test I have devised. I have imposed this test just to understand the prowess and position of my intended son-in-law. You, Lord Krishna, are the chief of all heroes. I am sure you will be able to bring these seven bulls under control without any difficulty. Until now, they have never been subdued by any prince. Anyone who has attempted to bring them under control has simply had his limbs broken. King Nagnajet continued his request. Krishna, if you'll kindly bridle the seven bulls and bring them under control, then undoubtedly you'll be selected as the desired husband of my daughter, Satya. After hearing this statement, Krishna could understand that the king did not want to break his vow. Thus, in order to fulfill his desire, he tightened his belt and prepared to fight with the bulls. He immediately divided himself into seven Krishnas, and each one of them immediately caught hold of a bull and bridled its nose, thus bringing it under control as if it were a plaything. Krishna's dividing himself into seven is very significant. It was known to Satya, the daughter of King Nangdajit, that Krishna had already married many other wives, but still she was attached to Krishna. In order to encourage her, Krishna immediately expanded himself into seven. The purport is that Krishna is one, but he has unlimited forms and expansions. He married many thousands of wives, but this does not mean that while he was with one wife, the others were bereft of his association. Krishna could associate with each and every wife by his expansions. When Krishna brought the bulls under his control by bridling their noses, their strength and pride were immediately smashed. The name and fame which the bulls had attained was thus vanquished. When Krishna had the bulls bridled, he pulled them strongly, just as a child pulls a toy wooden bull. Upon seeing his, this advantage of Krishna, King Nagdajet became very much astonished and immediately with great pleasure brought his daughter Satya before Krishna and handed her over to him. Krishna also immediately accepted Satya as his wife. Then there was a marriage ceremony with great pomp. The queens of King Nagdajit were also very much pleased because their daughter Satya got Krishna as her husband. Since the king and queens were very much pleased on this auspicious occasion, there was a celebration all over the city in honor of the marriage. Everywhere were heard the sounds of the conch shell and kettle drum and various other vibrations of music and song. The learned Brahmanas showered their blessings upon the newly married couple. In jubilation, all the inhabitants of the city dressed themselves in colorful garments and ornaments. King Nagajit was so much pleased that he gave a dowry to his daughter and son-in-law as follows. <clears throat> First of all, he gave them 10,000 cows and 3,000 well-dressed young maidservants, ornamented up to their necks. This system of dowry is still current in India, especially for Kshatriya princes. 
When a Chakya prince is married, at least a dozen maidservants of similar age are given along with the bride. After, after giving the cows and maidservants, the king enriched the dowry by giving 9,000 elephants and a hundred times more chariots than elephants. This means he, that he gave 900,000 chariots and he gave a hundred times more horses than chariots or 90 million horses and a hundred times more men servants than horses. <laughs> Royal princes maintained such men servants and maid servants with all provisions as if they were their own children or family members. After giving this dowry, the king of Koshala province bade his daughter and great son-in-law be seated on a chariot and allowed them to go to their home, guarded by a division of well-equipped soldiers. As they traveled fast to their new home, the king's heart was enlivened with affection for them. Before this marriage of Satya with Krishna, there had been many competitive engagements with the bulls of King Nagnajit and many other princes of the other dynasty <clears throat> and of other dynasties as well had tried to win the hand of Satya. When the frustrated princes of the other dynasties heard that Krishna was successful in getting the hand of Satya by subduing the bulls, naturally they became envious. While Krishna was traveling to Dwarka, all the frustrated and defeated princes encircled him and began to shower their arrows at the, on the bridal party. When they attacked Krishna's party and shot arrows like incessant torrents of rain, Arjuna, the best friend of Krishna, took charge of the challenge, and he alone very easily drove them off to please his great friend Krishna on the occasion of his marriage. Arjuna immediately took up his bow, Gandiva, and chased away all the princes, exactly as a lion drives away all small animals simply by chasing them. Arjuna drove away all the princes without killing even one of them. After this, the chief of the Yadu dynasty, Lord Krishna, along with his newly married wife and the huge dowry, entered the city of Dwarka with great pomp. Krishna then lived there with his wife very peacefully. Besides Kunti Devi, Krishna had another paternal aunt. Her name was Shutakirti. And she was married and lived in, the, in Kekaya province. She had a daughter whose name was Bhadra. Bhadra wanted to marry Krishna and her brother handed her over to him unconditionally. Krishna accepted her as his bona fide wife. Thereafter, Krishna married a daughter of the king of Madras province. Her name was Lakshmana, and she had all good qualities. She was also forcibly married by Krishna, who took her in the same way that Garuda snatched the jar of nectar from the hands of the demigods. Krishna kidnapped this girl in the presence of many other princes in the assembly of her Swayambara. This Swayambara is the, is the ceremony in which the bride can select her own husband from an assembly of many princes. 
The description of Krishna's marriage with the five girls mentioned in this chapter is not sufficient. He had many other thousands of wives besides them. Krishna accepted the other thousands of wives after killing a demon named Bomasura. All these thousands of girls were held captive in the palace of Bomasura, and Krishna released them and married them. Thus in the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 58th chapter of Krishna, five queens married by Krishna.